Today, uh, again, we're doing Swipe Right. Today is episode number two. And for those of you who are joining us at Church Online, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you chat to each other. Let somebody else know that you're here for use for use in uh, Church on Main Street. Glad for you as well. Have you been thinking about pineapples recently? I hope so. Because if you haven't had a chance to, uh, to see episode one yet, there's a reference in there, a fresh fruit reference that you really should look into. We're going to continue today to talk about the life and death power of sex and relationships, and today is called the point of no return. That is a term that you might recognize, especially if you are an aviator, which I know, of course, most of you are. <laughs> it's an aviation term that describes the point that pilots need to know about in advance so that they can decide whether or not to cross the line. If they do cross that line, they will no longer have enough fuel to get back to where they came from. So uh, they keep track of these things. They notice weather changes, the, the wind speeds, that kind of thing. You, they, they have to know up until this point right here, we can turn around and we can still get home. If we cross this point, we can't get back. And now we're committed to going either to the original destination or someplace between here and there. We can no longer get back home. It's the point of no return. And we're going to be uh, introduced today to a person in Scripture who made a decision in a moment that kept him from being able to get somewhere where he eventually realized that he wanted to go. So the big idea today is that it's possible to do something now that will cause us to regret a future that we don't like when we get there. We have the power to protect the future then. If we would choose now to uh, swipe right uh, and to live carefully right now, we can impact that future and regret-proof our future. So I want you, if you can, travel with me to the ancient historical manuscript called Hebrews. It's the book of Hebrews. It's in the New Testament. We're going to go to chapter 12. We're going to see this lived out in the life of a man named Esau. It's a name that you might want to write down. Maybe some of you are thinking about baby names or grandkid names. You're definitely going to want Esau because Esau means hairy. Uh, so verse 16, here we go. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Trading away a lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. That's what we're going to watch out for. Okay, so verse 17. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. But by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. Now a little context would probably help because we're just jumping into uh, the telling of an Old Testament story as seen through the eyes of the author of the New Testament book, Hebrews which is just some couple of thousand years after the fact. And this is a story that's being held up for as a, as a cautionary tale, so it would be important to have some context there. So we want to kind of get our bearings, understand what's at stake in the transaction that happened, why he made the decision, unfortunately, to swipe right on an action, a course of action that committed him to heading somewhere that when he got there, by his own admission, he didn't like. But even though he regretted it, he was unable to do anything about it. So he arrived at a future he didn't like when he found out, when, when he got there, he realized, oh no, what have I done? Esau is the grandson of a very famous man 
named Abraham. And Abraham's probably one of the top five most famous people in the Bible. Obviously, Jesus, number one, right? But if you think about this more as an Old Testament kind of specifics, we got Moses. Moses is a famous one. And then we got, you know, David. David, very famous guy. And then probably Abraham's the next big heavy hitter that rounds out that list. Now, if you were a junior high student, you've probably also heard about Ehud. You know the story of Ehud, right? Well, he's one of the judges, and his story is pretty uh, famous too, but we always talk about it in a junior high kind of setting, so look it up sometime. Anyways, anyways, back here. Abraham we know of as the father of faith, but he didn't know that. He was just a regular fella until he believed God one day. And then after a lifetime, he got this nickname, the father of anybody who believes, the father of faith. Abraham was given some ridiculous, extraordinary, massive, impossible promises. First of all, God said, hey, you're going to have a kid, and hey, it's going to be a boy, Woohoo!" But what was really hard for Abraham and his wife Sarah to reconcile with is that they were already super old. Yes, super old, not just, not just a little bit old, they were a lot of bit old. And after God gave the promise, he didn't, it didn't even happen for a while. And Genesis says that God made the promise, but then waited until Abraham's body, get this, was as good as dead. Oh yeah, by the way, that's not a compliment, okay? I don't think we're going to find too many Tinder profiles that say stuff like, my name's Tim, I play soccer, I'm in banking, and my body's as good as dead. Swipe right for a good time. Abraham's body was as good as dead. But then God fulfilled the promise. When it was not just impossible, but when it was even past impossible. So let me tell you something about our God. He can make a way where there is no way. Even when all that you see is a human, the possibility of something working out, there's no way. Our God, he brings streams into the desert. He opens up a walkway in the middle of the sea. The word impossible, it's just not in his vocabulary. And so Abraham, all along this process, and he's like us, right? There were glitches. There were stumbles. There were moments. He made mistakes. But he believed fundamentally that God was going to do what he said he would do. And it was to bring this baby boy into the world. That, that's, that's just the beginning of it. That's just the start. You see, you see this baby boy was going to grow up and become a nation. Through his descendants, they were going to be, the descendants were going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And out of this great nation, God was going to bring this... Okay, the, the people ultimately were going to become the Jewish nation, and then God was going to bring out of them a Messiah, a Savior, this guy that's going to crush the head of the devil. He's going to be able to bring people into heaven. He's going to be able to even overthrow our ultimate enemy, death itself. Jesus called the Christ, the Savior of all mankind, the hero above all possible heroes, and that was the promise. That was the statement God gave to Abraham. This is what is at stake in your family, in your lineage, in your bloodline. So Abraham's son, Isaac, 
passes on to him. He gets the birthright. Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, have twins, two kids, a kid named Jacob, and then there was Chewbacca, the guy that we met a moment ago, okay? The really hairy one. And these two boys, they're twins, except Esau was born moments earlier, just like a minute before. He was born first of the two. Therefore, under Jewish law, he received what's known as the firstborn's right or the birthright, which led to a double portion of the financial inheritance, a spiritual priestly role within the family, and the ability to just kind of be the leader uh, if any disputes arose in the family business. So in Abraham's family, um, this also brought Esau, not Jacob, this whole idea of being in the bloodline. The one through whose family, through his seed, this would come about. It's, it's an awesome, all the awesome stuff that God had said was going to do. All the awesome things that he promised Abraham in Scripture, all coming through this family. And so a lot's at stake here. And only Esau didn't actually experience any of those things. A few hundred years later, God would introduce himself to a man named Moses, who we do know, we've heard of already, and that's quite a bit later. Um, God would introduce himself to Moses, and he would say, hey, Moses, I'm God. And just so you know who I am, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and he did not say, I'm the God of Esau. He would have, though. That's how it all would have played out, because he was the firstborn. I'm the God of Esau. But none of those things happened. Because Esau gave up his right of first refusal on all those promises that God had put into his life. He gave them up to his baby brother. He gave them all the way to Jacob, willingly. If he, Esau, hadn't given those things to Jacob, no one could have ever taken them from him. But he opted out of them, giving them away to his brother Jacob in a deal that they made. A deal that they made. Okay, so uh, what kind of a deal was it that Esau made? What did he get out of this kind of a deal? If he was going to give up all that God wanted to do in his life, all that God wanted to do through his life, being related to Jesus and stuff, right? You're like, what, what did he get for it? He must have gotten something pretty awesome <coughs> to give up that much. What, what did he get out of the deal that he made? Are you ready? He got a bowl of stew, some nice, steamy, hot chili. That's what he got. You're like, you got to be kidding me. That's a really bad deal. This guy is not a good negotiator at all. And no, he's really not. But that's honest to God what happened. And you can read about it in Genesis 25. You don't believe me? Go there. Old Testament, read it sometime this week. That's precisely what happened. He comes in hungry one day. His brother's cooking there, and he smells it from outside as he's approaching. Esau had been out hunting. They, these guys were really different. They had very different kinds of tastes. And when he smelled the soup that Jacob was cooking, super hungry, he said, hey, let me have some of that soup. Actually, the original Hebrew is even better. He said, I want to swallow that. How's that for your meal anticipation? Me, Esau, put food in mouth spot. 
And Jacob realized he had a moment to say, okay, I'll give you some soup. Sure, no problem. And he's, you know, pulling out some biscuits from the oven, letting the smell waft around the room. But you just got to give me something for it. So Esau says, okay, what? So Jacob says, ah, just give me your birthright. And Esau says, are you telling me that you want me to give you everything that God has promised to do in my life and through my life? And even after I'm dead, generations after I'm God, all that, I would still give all that up. You want me to give up all of that. You want me to give up being in the New Testament, in the bloodline of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. You want me to give all that up. You'll take that, and, and, and I get what? Soup? And Esau says, all right, let me sign on the dotted line. And Esau ate the soup in an impulsive act, despising his birthright, he walked away. Now, it would be really easy to pile on. Man, Esau, what a dummy. Who would ever do that? But I think it would be a much better use of our time for me to admit that I am capable of doing in minutes what I would reg regret for decades. And frankly, it terrifies me all the time. And then for me to warn you as well, not just me, but you, all of us together, that each of us, the enemy somewhere in some kitchen has got a pot of soup simmering. And it will be served up to you at the perfect time, ladled into a dish and presented with culinary perfection, offered to you at just the right time. When you're at your lowest, when you're feeling unloved, when you're feeling like your needs have not been met, when you're worn down, when you're stressed out, when you're feeling anxious. And in that moment, when the steamy stew hits your nose, you will feel like all of your happiness is attached to what's in that dish. And in that moment, any notion of a far-off promise of how God wants to use you or something that was said in a dusty old book thousands of years ago, it's all going to seem so distant. It's all going to seem so opaque and so unreal and so undesirable. And we got all the way here right now for me to say this to you. You don't want what the devil's got in his crock pot right? He's slow cooking the death of your calling. Watch out for this Esau syndrome. It looks good. Oh my gosh. I'm smelling it because I'm right here, but I could go for some of that right now. Here's the first of four truths. Jot them down, take them down, put them into your heart as we learn to do what the book of Hebrews warns, to watch out for the Esau syndrome because all of us are susceptible. All of us are capable of making decisions in a moment that take us past points of no return, that make it difficult for us to arrive where we ourselves want to reach. This is the place to go. The first thing is this. <coughs> your desires keep you from your destiny. Your desires 
Esau's desire was for food, but desire is desire, and appetite is appetite. The Bible talks about how it's possible to live in a place where your God is your feelings, where basically feeling good is the highest good. Now, as it's related to sexuality and to romance and all all of that, that's part of our discussion right now, there's just so much crossover, so much overlap, because there is a good desire for sex. There's a good desire for intimacy. We talked about in episode one how God wants you to have an amazing sex life. He created, he made it on purpose. He wants you to enjoy the gift of sexuality. It's that If that's something that you are going to look forward to, you can sense that. That, That's not a bad thing to look forward to. You have an appetite. You have a desire. And that's part of how God built you. It's hardwired in. So having a sex drive isn't the problem. Letting sex drive is. Because your desires, your appetite in a moment can cause you to make a decision that would cause you to move away from the destiny that God and you yourself, at the end of the day, that's where you want to go. The temporary, though, it can keep us from the eternal. The temporary, just a moment. And our desire to have what we want for a moment can keep us back from what we want to enjoy forever. Physical and instantaneous can keep us from the eternal that we ourselves long for. And that's what happened to Esau. And it can happen to me. And it can happen to you. In the time that it takes to swipe the screen of a tablet, the time that it takes to steam up the windows in a parked car, the time that it takes to rumple the sheets in a motel room bed, you can give up in minutes what you would then later regret with tears for decades. And all of us are capable of doing this. And that's what the enemy has for us. He wants us to not enjoy the life and the marriage that God planned for us. He wants our kids to grow up in a home that's racked by divorce, racked by confusion, full of turmoil, full of conflict, full of pain. He wants you to not even be able to shine the light at work. He wants you to make unethical decisions and to make compromising choices that would even impact your employment. If it was up to him, he would love to see you terminated because of something that you did that felt right in the moment. It felt good right here. But that brought you to a state over here that you don't like. I can think it's even something as simple as texting and driving or drinking and driving. Something in a moment over here, really quickly done, just just over and done in an evening. And then you wake up and then the, the hangover is gone, but now you're realizing that you've done. What have I done? What's happened to you? We can do in minutes what we would regret for decades. And your desire can keep you from your destiny. Giving in to every appetite, giving in to every desire, just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because birds fly over your head doesn't mean you have to let them make a nest in your hair. That's what Martin Luther told us way back in the day. So we just have to recognize that the enemy cooks the soup, right? And if we sneak a sip. To the extent that we drink, we're moving ourselves away from what we ultimately one day are going to desire. That's the first thing. Second thing, know this part. When your stomach gets empty, 
your standards get lower. That's why it's, <laughs> you know this, that's why it's such a colossal mistake to go grocery shopping on an empty stomach, right? And I bet most of you have learned that lesson somewhat in the hard way. You start out looking, I've got a list, I've got to just get these things. But I've never seen that before. And that kind of looks interesting. That one sounds great. And all of a sudden, you're putting things in the cart and maybe you're even eating things <coughs> that you would never have ever gotten before. I just made bad choices. And the more you're eating good things, the smaller an appetite for the other things that you'll put into your life. In the same way, spiritually. Do you think that Jacob would have gotten Esau to make this deal if he'd approached him at the breakfast table? You know, they're both sitting there eating their lucky charms, looking in the box for the toy. They're sitting there eating breakfast, and Jacob's, hey, bro, you want to give me some, uh, you want to give me your birthright for, for another bowl of lucky charms? Esau would have just given him a wedgie right then. Swipe left on him so fast it would make his head spin. But he didn't. Because when your stomach's empty, your standards get lower. It's harder to see the invisible when you're so preoccupied with the material that's right in front of you. And he was hungry, and he was worn down. He'd just come in from the woods after a long, unsuccessful hunt. And it was then that Jacob sprung this deal on him. Because some future promise of power seems so much less important than present pleasure. No big deal, right? So it is for you. The devil has tremendous timing. He'll make sure to show up with temptation just when you've had a fight with your wife. Or just when there's been friction at work. Or just when something's gone wrong. And he'll make sure that it feels really good. Call that comfort sin. He'll swoop in with a bowl of comfort sin. It's just the thing you need to cheer yourself back up. Of course it's a lie. Of course it's not going to satisfy. It'll only bring a momentary satisfaction. It's like drinking salt water and then you'll be even more thirsty than you were before. And you'll have now the new compounded problems from what you brought into your life, from what you did in that moment. Now you have to deal with it all. So you have to keep your stomach full. And if you're unclear about your calling, it will cause you to put a lower value on you than you deserve. And that's why Scripture says so repeatedly, keep your calling, keep your election sure, keep your calling, know who you are. When you know who you are, you're not going to let anyone else tell you what you're worth. Why do you think that David wrote this in Psalm 119, verse 11? He said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I, would, that I might not sin against you. What, what, what's he saying as he's going out into the outside world? I'm not going to go around hungry because I'm not going to fall for any lie that this world has to offer. If I walk out into the world with a full stomach and then someone comes up to me and they say, hey, this will make you feel great. Yeah, but God's word says. God has told me what he thinks about me. God's word says that's, that's how Jesus dealt with temptation. In the desert, it is written, it is written, 
It is written. His heart was so full of God's word. In the, the temptation time, he didn't fall for anything that the devil brought his way. Because he understood the power of God's word. And that's why it's so important that before you go out, before you face your day and face the world, before you leave your house, before you go to work, before you go to school, that you're hiding some scripture in your heart. Opening up the Bible, jumping onto your phone and using the Bible app, reading something from your devotional plan, hiding God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. And that's also why it's so important that you're serving God. John recorded what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. <clears throat> what incredible power there is in actively serving God and doing his work. The, the, the work of bringing um, lots of people to be drawn into God's presence that the world may know. Because idle hands really are the devil's workshop. There, there's just a power in not letting your life have too much empty time in it, not letting that time be a vacuum. That's why it's so important, so powerful for you to use the gifts that God gives you to serve other people. If you have your stomach full of God's Word and your hands are busy doing God's work, guess what? You're not going to have the space or have the time to fall into these things that the enemy wants to have going on in your life. There is a power in being a part of God's work and having your stomach full and knowing who you are. Do you know what I mean when I say that you have a calling? Has anyone ever told you part of it your calling comes from? Because you're a child of God, the king of kings. You are a son or daughter of the emperor of all eternity. He's the maker of the ends of the earth, and you're his adopted, blood-bought son or, or daughter. You're royalty. And in Peter's first letter, chapter 2, verse 9, he tells us this. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. There's such power in that. And I dare you to wake up every day, to go to the mirror, look at yourself and say, my God tells me that I am chosen. I am loved. I am called. I am equipped. Tell me that that doesn't change the way your day goes. And then someone comes up to you and they try to be like, hey girl, hey. And you're like, I'm already loved. Hello. Thank you very much. I already know who I am. My worth does not come from my likes on social media. I'm not going to be sending you any scandalous picture that you're asking for because my Father in heaven loves me. He says that I'm going to rule and I'm going to reign with him forever. My name's already on a place setting, on a table in heaven waiting for me. I've been given the same Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ had that raised him from the dead. My sins have been washed away. I'm going to walk in victory. I'm going to walk in triumph. I am going to walk in his will and do his work. And then when it comes up that you're, you know, scrolling, 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 and you start to feel that normal feeling, we all feel it sometimes. You know what it is? The FOMO feeling, the fear of missing out. 
And we start to see where everyone else is at and where, they're, where they are, what they're doing. We start to be like, dang, it's Friday night and look what I'm doing, but look at what they're doing. You start to feel like maybe I am missing out. And then God's word is going to come back and it's going to speak up in your heart and he's going to say to you, yeah, you are missing out on the regret, on the guilt, on the heartache, on the consequences, on the fear, on the sadness. You're missing out on all of those things that Jesus does not want you to have to experience. And he has great things for you. He's not trying to keep stuff from you. He has so much for you. And the devil is a liar. And Jesus came that you would have life and life abundantly. And now, I can imagine some of you, you know, you're sitting here and you're hearing this and you go, I got a little pushback on that. I'm not sure exactly we're on the same page because you're thinking, from, from the way I understand church, the way I understand the way things are supposed to go, you're saying that uh, I could do these things, I can take these things, and all of a sudden they're going to they're gonna end me up at this place, at this point of no return. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I thought as a pastor, you're supposed to tell us, don't worry that no matter what you've done, God can forgive me later, Right? Aren't we supposed to all just sin as much as we want? And then later on say, I'm sorry. At least once a week or once a month or maybe even just at the end of our life. That way we get, we get to feel like we're alive. We get to live like we're young. We get to do what we want. We get to have a good time. And then eventually we just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Can't I just do this and not worry about it? Because God can always forgive me. And you know what? I'm not going to argue about God's forgiveness one bit. I'm all about God's forgiveness. I believe if you ask Jesus, he will forgive you. I also believe that you can't pull one over on God. He knows the heart that are behind the words. And so, listen to me, there is such a huge difference between forgiveness and consequences. And yes, he can forgive you, but he would so much rather be blessing you and using you to change the world around you and building you up inside than forgiving you. And that doesn't mean that you can just walk in sin and still enjoy his best for your life. There's a heap of difference between forgiveness and consequences. So listen to me. Walk in this world with your stomach full of God's word and your hands busy about God's will. Don't let your value be vulnerable. Don't let your spiritual stomach get empty. And don't trade what you want most for what you want right now. Third thing. In all you do, think follow through. And that's awesome because it rhymes. In all you do, think follow through. <laughs> Esau should have stepped back from the table, right? Gotten a little bit of perspective. Just hold on a second, Jacob. And that's almost always a solution to the problems that we get to in this world, isn't it? Just, just take a moment. But we're, we're right up in it, right? I'm, I'm right in the middle of it, and the blood's rushing to my head, and we're just feeling like, oh, I got, I got to give in. I got to do it. I, this is going to bring relief, and this will bring satisfaction. There's going to be so much pleasure in it. But if we could step back just for a moment, you've got to learn how to hit pause. Slow it down. Zip the lip. Because Scripture says that there's a way of escape from every temptation. But we're not going to see it. I mean, it's always going to be there, right? But if we're going by so quickly, we just 
flying by, we're not going to notice our way of escape. So slow it down. In the military, they say stuff like, smooth is slow and slow is fast. you got to learn to slow things down. Make better decisions. Live with fewer regrets. Make wise choices. So when you're tempted to do something that, that could take you away from where God wants you to go, that could, that could take you away from the marriage experience that he wants you to have, that could take you away from what your children, maybe, maybe the children we're talking about aren't even born yet. Maybe they're not even conceived yet. But the life that they're going to walk in, it's the story of their family tree. Just learn to slow it down for a second. Think follow through. And that's an athletic term. And I can remember that from my, uh, my old NHL days. Um, I know that you don't stop at the ball in baseball. Follow through. I know that you don't stop at the ball in golf. Your, your club is supposed to uh, end up like 180 degrees from where it began. That's follow through. And when you're sailing, you're way better off to roll tack or to roll jibe. You follow through. That's where all the power is. And so it is spiritually speaking. You are part of a bigger story. Not, not just in life, not just in your love life, but realizing that there is eternity after life. Death is not the end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. There is a hereafter, and our hope shall not be cut off. So just realizing there's more to the story than just dating. There's more to the story than just being single. There's more to the story than just being single again. There's more to the story than wishing you were single and when you think follow through, you think eternal life. You think the big picture. You pull that back 10 years. You pull that back 20 years. Pull it back 30 years. Because right now you're all up in it. And you, you can't see. Everything's blurry. But you want to be like what your friends are, right? You want things to be like they used to be in those good old days. But think. How will you, in your 70s, look back on these decisions? Think longer than that. Because we're thousands of years removed from Esau, but the story's still being told. And so think, like a thousand generations, because that's how long God is faithful to his promises. There's this one little brief moment that we have to be on this earth and to walk in God's plan and to be absorbed into his will. And the psalmist wrote it this way, Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If you number your days, you'll gain a heart of wisdom. You're probably not going to make it past 100, okay? Let you in on that. So you get to 100, let's say, and you number all those days from where you are right now in, in, in proportion to what you've been giving and, and what you want at the end of the day when you take your last, your final breath, when you're looking back on your life and you're remembering everything, I guarantee you, you're not going to be sitting thinking to yourself, I really wish I had made more money. I guarantee that you're not just going to be saying, oh, I really wish that I had bought more things. Like I, I had so much time to buy things and I didn't use it all. I, I wish I had impressed more people. If I could have only gotten more likes, that would have been great. You're going to be thinking about relationships and you're going to be thinking about God. It's a, it's a relationship up and, and, and the relationships here and if we, if we look eyes up, and if we live eyes up, that we can swipe right, we can go out to the left or to the right, and we can live right in God's sight. So go to the end in your mind. Think follow through, and that will help you make better decisions and then live with 
fewer regrets. There's a calling on your life. God doesn't save you just so you don't go to hell, but so you can shake the gates of hell. And the swipe right message isn't don't sin. It's take your place and change the world because you were destined for impact. You were here to shake the gates of hell. But it's hard to do and it's hard to see that, that calling. Why? Because as we live, now yells louder, but later lasts longer. And so now, think of the later, not just now that yells so loud and the demands to be gratified, instant gratification, it will keep you from ultimate satisfaction. So the fourth thing, your entire life can change in just a moment of time. It's true. I mean, Esau's story proves it, right? That's true in the negative sense in Esau's example. Your entire life can change in a moment of time. Esau regretted what he did. He wished with tears he could get it back. He couldn't. He earnestly desired to get back his birthright that he gave to Jacob, but he would not be able to. The consequences remained. And so in a negative sense, that's true. But I want to speak over your life in a positive sense. The same is true. Because no one can uneat the soup they've already eaten, me included. And the tension of me preaching this is that I have to realize that I'm not preaching it to perfect people. And I'm not preaching it as a perfect person. So in some sense, there's a little despair to preach these things. The soup's already been eaten. I'm preaching this message, maybe to, to, to warn someone who's thinking about going down this road. Or somebody who hasn't gone down the road yet, that it's better to do things God's way. He knows what he's talking about. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He's trying to keep you from devastation. He's trying to keep you from death. He's trying to keep you from heartache. He's trying to keep you from regret. This is about how to regret-proof your marriage bed and your deathbed. So it needs to go out like a warning. It needs to go out like a wake-up call. But it also has to acknowledge that there's people who are listening who wish that they had heard this 30 years ago. Oh, well, too late for me. I'm Esau. I guess I'll just have some more soup. What does it matter anyway? I want to speak to you in a positive way. Your entire life can change in just a moment of time. You might not be able to get the consequences to be gone. The STD that you might get might, might remain. The divorce might go through. The kids might take years and years to even take your calls. That job that fired you for what you did, that might be real. You might even go behind bars. But you don't have to face the consequences alone. God is with you and he is for you. He loves you. And listen to me. He is so good, he'll even bless you after you've been in places you shouldn't have gone. Places that you had no business being. He can forgive. He can restore. He can transform. He can cause there to be a new abundance. A harvest of righteousness to come out of it if I just don't give up. But you've got to make a decision. 
You've got to say from this day forward, I want to honor you. I want to walk with you as a worshiper. And I want to love you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Pray with me. Kind Father, again, thank you for the way that you have moved. We don't see all of your moves, but the ones that have crossed our path, we have found to be faithful. And so that helps me to anticipate for the future that you will continue to be faithful. There are so many times when it feels like I'm losing out for here. Everyone else is having a wonderful time, or at least that's what they say. We don't get to see behind the scenes. We don't get to see what it's like when they go home. But we always imagine somebody else's life is better than ours. We're so worried about what we're missing out on. God, I pray that as we look forward in our lives and we look at those points of no return, that we would start to think about follow through. What is the longer term view here? Do I trust you? And that trust comes, do I believe that you are withholding the good from me? Or do I trust that you are holding out the best for me? And even though somebody else disagrees with what that looks like, you're the one I can trust. These other people that I listen to, they're not trustworthy. That they have not done anything that gives me the reason to trust them. They, they just give me reasons to avoid thinking about trust and to think about the immediate. And I want to live a longer-term life. I want to have a long-term view. I want to see down the road farther and make choices and decisions that, that I don't have to regret, that I don't have to undo, that I don't have to try and find a way to reverse or to repair or to build a new bridge over. I, I don't want to have to go through that. And for my friends that are, that are listening today, God, I don't want that for them either. I'm so grateful that you offer us a path and a plan and a way that we can connect with you and live in a way that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Please, be about that today. Transform our minds that we would trust you. Renew us as we fill our hearts and our minds with your truth in your pursuit. Come alive in our minds that you might also come alive in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.